0: Let us pray. Most gracious God, as your word is proclaimed and read aloud by your spirit, may each of us hear your word as if it was just for us. May we take your word to heart and may it change us and mold us and remake us as you would have it to be and not we ourselves. And we ask it all in the name of Jesus. Amen. Our scriptural text for this morning is just four verses. It's brief. It's probably the best known portion of the book of the prophet Jeremiah. The setting for all of this is that the generations of prophets have been sent by God to warn Israel to change, to repent, to change their course. Or else they failed to do so, and the or else has finally come. So Jeremiah, by this point in his book, is writing about the destruction of the southern kingdom of Judah. The Davidic kingship has come to an end. The temple, the place where they believed God lived in the holy of holies in the center of the temple has been destroyed. And it's in the midst of that devastation and hopelessness that God gives Jeremiah these words for the people of God: The days are surely coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. And I will be their God, and they shall be my people. No longer shall they teach one another or say to each other, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, says the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity and remember their sin no more. This is the word of the Lord. Jeremiah is often referred to as the weeping prophet. In the beginning of his book, he's a young man who is giving one last opportunity to, to tell the people of Israel to repent or else the people of Judah, the southern king. And they not only didn't pay any attention to him, at one point they, they drag him out of the city. They take him to a place where there's a cistern, a, a big deep pit that was dug to hold water and they throw him in the bottom of the pit and leave him there to die. But by the time he has reached adulthood, he was delivered from the pit obviously. By the time he reached adulthood, despite all his warnings and his pleas, the the consequences of their behaviors come home to roost. And everything that he and his people had known, and love, and look to for their sense of who we are and our stability, was destroyed, was taken away from them. Another reason that that Jeremiah is sometimes referred to as the weeping prophet is that most people attribute the book of Lamentations to the authorship of Jeremiah as well. A book of weeping and mourning over the destruction of Jerusalem. But in the midst, I mean, just, just try and live for a moment what the feelings had to have been like for those people to whom Jeremiah was right. Like. We've been warned for generations and we wouldn't listen because we knew best and we wanted to, like what, from, from the mouths of children? We want to do what we want to do? And look where it got us. The promised line of David that was supposed to have no end has come to an end because the king of it, the, the last king of Judah and all of his heirs have been killed. And God is no longer with us because the temple's been destroyed. And all of the leadership has been carried away into Babylon. And all of the death and destruction that happened in the conflict. Do you feel the desperation, the mourning, the hopelessness? Today we sometimes have comparable feelings, even though our circumstances are, come on, if we're honest, far less than what they were facing. But oftentimes either in our personal lives, because in our family, in our relationships, in our uh, our vocations, things aren't going the way we had hoped. Or there's the palpable sense in, in the culture, in the nation as a whole, that things are badly off track. And depending on what your political leanings are, we blame this group or that group. But I think everyone would be in agreement that things are badly wrong. And so I think Jeremiah is not just talking to those folks back then, that that we today, to varying degrees, experience comparable feelings about our current situation and our hope for the future. And we need to take the heart and to hear the words of hope that God gives Jeremiah to speak in precisely that situation starts out with, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. That phrase, house of Israel and house of Judah, is important. This is the only place in the New Testament, by the way, that the phrase new covenant is mentioned. And I would suggest to you that it's not a new covenant in the sense of the old one is just thrown aside but it's renewed, it's modified, its terms are now slightly different. But the house of Israel, the house of Judah, over a hundred years earlier, at the time of the death of Solomon, the ten tribes that broke away, formed the northern kingdom of Israel, had been conquered by the Assyrians. They are the lost tribes of Israel, so-called. So this promise is not just to... Jeremiah and his contemporaries. And I think that's important because I think God, if not, working in the back of our minds, if, if, if God could forsake and forget his covenant people, Israel, those Yankees up north, you know where I come from, Yankees half a word, but, you know, those Yankees up north, if God could forget about them, who's to say God couldn't forget about us as well? And so God is saying, I will make a new covenant with both the house of Israel and the house of Judah. In a lot of Christian teaching and even in some of the New Testament, we talk about through Jesus Christ, we have received a new covenant. That's what the New Testament means. And sometimes it is described as if the new covenant supersedes the old covenant, The old covenant is just thrown in the trash can and forgotten about because we got a new one. And I would suggest to you that the same sort of thinking applies for us. It is a modification, a restoration, a a reworking of of the same old covenant. But if God could reject or forget about His covenant people, Israel, the Jews, who say He couldn't do the same with us, but because God is faithful and God always remembers and lives up to the promises that God has made even when God's people do not. God can be trusted even in the midst of what seems like a hopeless situation because God is faithful even though we far too often Are not. God goes on to say to Jeremiah that this, this new, this reworked covenant won't be like the covenant that I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. A covenant that they broke though I was their husband, says the Lord. The old covenant, as it's sometimes referred to. God, had delivered, through Moses, had delivered the people out of Egypt. All the mighty victories that go with that, the stories of the Passover and the cross and the Red Sea and the rest of it. And their feet weren't on the other side of the Red Sea before they're rumbling and complaining, oh, you know, it's hot, I'm tired, I'm hungry. What? Manna again? And when God called Moses up to Mount Sinai, and gave him the Torah, the Ten Commandments. If they'd been written on parchment, you could say before the ink was even dry. that Before Moses could bring the tablets down the mountain, they had already broken that covenant with the casting and the worship of the golden calf. The covenant was reestablished renewed. There were various covenant renewals in Israel's history. But time and time again the people of God showed that they are like all the rest of the human race. Fickle, disobedient, self-centered, want to do what we want when we want without any external constraints whatsoever even from God. And so now though the the people's actions, their generations of keeping the covenant at arm's length, disobeying the covenant, only adhering to the covenant when it was convenient, or the kind of faith that only calls on God when we're in trouble, the 911 prayers, Come on, you know the kind of prayer I'm talking about. Uh, the kind of prayers that we all pray. You know, I haven't heard it so much recently, but for years I used to hear people complaining that, that oh, what a tragedy that that, that everything in the country has been going downhill ever since they took prayer out of schools. I, for one, am not particularly concerned about that because, A, I don't want Caesar to be the one who is responsible for teaching our children to pray. And B, I know that as long as there are math tests, there's going to be prayers in schools. Those 911 prayers of Lord help me because I didn't study and, but if that's the extent of our faithfulness, the 911 kind of prayer, then we're not covenant people. Then we will inevitably, not because God is anxious to to punish us for our transgressions, but because, you know, actions have consequences. And the people of Judah, Jerusalem, are experiencing the consequences of their generations of worshiping things other than God and neglecting God's commands to to be a people of justice and to especially look out for the powerless amongst them. The phrase that all the prophets use so, so often. The, the widows, the orphans, and the sojourners. The strangers. The legal aliens amongst us. The people who are the most vulnerable and the most easily taken advantage of by those with power because they have consistently ignored that, now they are reaping the consequences of their behavior. But, God says, as bad as the current situation might seem, no matter how bleak your situation here in 2018 may seem, either on the personal level or the national level or... The church level, oh my goodness, the church has been declining. The churches in general have been declining in membership for 50 years now. What a mess. In spite of all that, God says, I'm still God. And I'm still faithful. I still remember the promises I've made to you. And even though you have consistently ignored me or tried to domesticate me, Or said things about me on my behalf that are not in accordance with my will and way, but you're, you're using the name of God for your own selfish purposes. In spite of all that, I'm, but because I am who I am, God says, because it's in my character to be faithful, I'm gonna do something new. I understand that you just have, when, when the covenant was based on you living up to an exterior set of rules, commandments, that you just consistently haven't been able to do it. From the book of Deuteronomy as far back, the Shema, and, and these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and you shall talk of them when you sit in your home and also when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up, even though that intent had been there from the beginning, these words shall be on your heart. The Word of God consistently, as a matter of fact, was not on the people's heart because they didn't keep it there. And so often today, neither do we. But God is going to do a new thing, Jeremiah said. Instead of relying on a a covenant that's written on tablets of stone, God's going to do something new. And it's something that was alluded to and foretold by other prophets as well. It wasn't unique to Jeremiah. Ezekiel, who was roughly contemporary with Jeremiah, said, And I will give them one heart, and a new spirit I will put within them. I will remove the heart of stone from their flesh and give them a heart of flesh. My, oh my, isn't that what we need to do? And the nation as a whole that is so polarized politically and culturally that we're paralyzed and can't seem to do anything to have one heart. A heart after Jesus Christ. a heart of God. Or later in Ezekiel. He says that looking forward to the day, and I will give you a new heart and I will put a new spirit within you and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. Too often, how how often have we had hearts of stone? We want what we want, how we want it, and when we want it. And heaven help the person that would seem to be in our way or preventing us from giving. If that's not a definition of hard-heartedness, I do not know what one is. But here in Jeremiah, he says, instead of having these external commandments that you might try to live up to with the best of intentions. How many of you made New Year's resolutions this year or any other year? How's that working out for you? I mean, we're, we're in the middle of, towards the end of March now. How's that going? (laughs) Yeah, me too. Because you see, the problem is not that we don't know what to do. God has given us pretty clear instructions. The problem is not a lack of knowledge. We know what to do. And even if we didn't, There are multiple Bibles in every home. Information is not the problem. It's it's not that you need to go get a new self-help book or watch a new self-help guru on Oprah or MPT or someplace else. Because information, lack of information, isn't the problem. We live in the information age. How many of you, when you're watching TV and you see see a star on on a movie or a show, gee, I wonder how old those people are now. How many of you? Somebody says, well, let me whip out my phone because we got Google right here and I'll look that up. We have information running out of our ears and in our fingertips. The problem isn't a lack of information. The problem isn't a lack of a program or an agenda the solution to the problem is not a new leader in the realm of politics or in the realm of church the problem is that our hearts are not in sync with god but god says i know who you are after all i made you i mean Men frequently get a bad rap because of our insistence of not reading the instruction manuals when something comes. But while that bad rap may be applicable to many of us, it doesn't really apply to God because God wrote the instruction manual if there were one. God made us. God knows who we are and what we're capable of. And more importantly, what we're not capable of. And so as long as it's a matter of us knowing the good, but not really willing the good. In the letter to the Romans, Paul talks about this. He says, Oh, wretched man that I am. I know the good. I want to do the good. But before I know it, I end up doing the very evil that I hate. Who will rescue me from this body of sin and death? And of course. His answer is Christ Jesus our Lord, because in Christ Jesus our Lord, the promise that's being given here in Jeremiah is, is fulfilled. When Christ sends the gift of the Holy Spirit, and we allow the Holy Spirit into our lives, because God doesn't force God's self on us. God, the Holy Spirit is a gentleman or a gentlewoman does not invade, does not overpower, but when we invite and allow the Holy Spirit into our hearts, we are changed from the inside out. We begin to decrease. We, as in terms of our selfish ego, begin to decrease so that Christ might increase. And so that we might I mean we sing about it in the hymns to uh to do one will, to grow to in me that you might increase, that I might decrease. That I think is what Jeremiah is talking about here. And once that happens, Jeremiah said, it'll no longer be the case that you know some folks will be chastising other folks to teach them saying, Know the Lord because it's usually one of those don't do as I do, do as I say do situations. None of us really have the integrity to be able to chastise others saying, hey, you sinner, you straighten up and fly right. By that, when we say things like that, we usually mean, hey, you sinner, you need to be more like me. You need to see things from my point of view. But no, God says, once I put my spirit within their hearts, they're, they don't need to do that anymore. They shall all know me from the least of these to the greatest. For I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. Friends, that's the promise of Easter. That is the promise of the Christian faith writ law. We who as as we move into Holy Week and we remember and we reenact the drama where God so loved the world that He sent His only begotten Son that whoever believed in Him might perish but have eternal life. And yet we rejected Him and betrayed Him. And we the fickle crowd who just next Sunday will be Waving the palms and shouting Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Those of us who trouble ourselves to show up for the Holy Week services. Will also be in the crowds. On Monday, Thursday saying. Jesus who? Because have never heard of. Him. Or on Good Friday saying. Crucify him. We have no king but Caesar. And yet. In spite of that God says today is coming when I will write my law in your hearts change you from the inside out so that your will can be aligned with my will that my spirit might increase as your self-centered spirit decreases And when that happens, I will forgive their iniquity and remember their sin no more. That is the promise of the Christian faith and the hope of Easter. Thanks be to God.